live demi presence and behind the music Welcome to the very first episode of Behind the Music by Live Demi Studios. We have with us in our presence two legends in the industry whose names require no introduction. But since you already know who they are, I'll introduce them anyway. I welcome Mahesh Raghavan, our in-house music architect who's been a guiding light to Live Demi's growth and a lighthouse for our music vision. Without him, Live Demi wouldn't be the same. He's a god at GeoShred and creates some of the best tech infused music I've ever heard. On the other side we have George Brooks a master of a very rare combination of jazz and indian classical music we're honored to have him here and host this wonderful discussion where they talk about musical expression and their journeys into prominence and the culture behind the sound so without further ado i'll let mahesh take this ahead and we hope you have a great time good morning or good evening everyone to whoever has joined and uh, first of all i'm really glad and honored to be having a conversation with the wonderful George Brooks who has been extremely inspiration to me and many other musicians across the globe and um, i would like to invite him now to uh, so that we can start our conversation um just in case any of you have questions for either of us you can just post them in the text window um uh, right there uh, on 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 live demo so you can do that Um George are you in are you in the room I'm just waiting for you to join conversation with you I think both of us approach indian classical music from uh, a different direction altogether Well I think yeah probably from a couple of different directions because yes. I mean one I was raised in the United States in the 1960s Wow <laughs> which is which is different from being raised in Dubai in the 1990s or such of course um and then also my my entryway into indian classical music was um was hindustani music so Great. i know you i know you come from the carnatic uh side of things and of course i'm also a saxophone player which generally has very doesn't have much to do generally with indian classical music certainly in the north there's more of a tradition in the south uh, through people like Hadri Gopalnath who really yes brought it to uh, to prominence and of course being you know i also was raised first on kind of american folk music american rock music and then when i was a teenager um about 14 or 15 i start i so i was introduced to jazz to american jazz to john coltrane and the lonious monk and uh Sarah Vaughan and and that entire tradition and as a saxophone player that was um what I first was you know that was my first inspiration and aspiration you know I I wanted to be Charlie Parker at some point in 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 my life but not long after that um you know maybe when I was about 19 is when I I attended the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston as a jazz student but while I was there I took a course called a survey of Indian classical music and that opened up a whole new world for me as far as just listening and 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 musical concept and right away I you know without really any instruction I started to see, you know, what could I do, especially at that time on the soprano saxophone, what could I do that that might bring me 
close to what I was hearing. Hmm. And uh, just a few years after that, I was able to uh, accompany my wife on a fellowship to New Delhi. And that's where I met uh, Pandit Pranath, who's actually on the poster behind me. Uh, the great, I don't know if you can see it from where you are, but uh, great Khayal vocalist. And I lived in New Delhi, excuse me, this is 1980, for 10 months. I lived in, I don't know, about six months. And uh, really, that's where I became immersed in the culture and in the music. And you know, started to learn about, <coughs> excuse me, Guru Shisha Parampara, taking care of my Guruji, cooking for him, massaging him, doing what what he needed done, uh, and then, you know, learning, getting a tambora, learning to tune a tambora, uh, learning sargam, starting to sing, and and getting much more of a, I think, a sense of the history of the music, a sense of the uh, spiritual origins of the music and uh, you know that that's kind of from there is where my my growth began wow i think i have a completely different uh <laughs> completely different uh what do you call perspective as well because um just like you i wasn't brought up in india of course i was brought up in dubai uh but in in a proper south indian household so as a child, I learned Carnatic music. Um, since I was three, my aunt was my first guru. And um, and I learned for a good 15 years. But um, the thing was, I was also exposed to Western music. Uh, from, from the age of 10, I, I started learning the piano as well. And um, and by the time I was a teenager, I was I was really into technology. So I wanted to do something with music and technology. So I did my audio engineering. And later on, I did my master's in music tech, where I discovered this gadget called the iPad. And that's where I think that kind of changed. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of changed everything. That is a little bit of a different trajectory. I'm curious, though, when you say you were started learning the piano, were you learning Western classical music on the piano? Yes. So um, it, it was like partly piano, partly uh, keyboards as well. So I was learning a lot to play a lot of pop music along with all of the Mozart pieces. And so it was a mix of both. So I had my, my musical training was Western and Indian at the same time. And the music I make now is kind of uh, a result of who I am and how I was brought up because in spite of being in the South Indian household, like a proper South Indian upbringing, uh, I was brought up in Dubai, which was like a cross-cultural, multicultural environment, which is, and the music I make is a mix of contemporary, uh, you know, electronic music and Indian classical, which, which is generally who I am as a person as well. So, so yeah, I think I think our cultures definitely um, affect the music that we make. I think our cultures affect the music that we make. You know, certainly our upbringings do. Definitely. And then, um, at, for me, the people I've met along the way and the relationships that I've formed, that's been, that's been to me. Um, you know, I mean, I think, I think an artist's job or an artist's journey is to find out who they are and, and what is, you know, what what is the most honest form of expression that they can make? Um, you know, I was fortunate 
rather early on uh, on my ret- on my return from that year in India. You know, not only did I establish a relationship with my Guruji, as well as in India, but then I was very fortunate to meet Krishna Bhatt, who is a wonderful sitarist from the same family as Vishwamohan Mohan Bhatt, who you may be uh, familiar yes, with. Yes, of course. Guitar player. Of course. So Krishna is an incredible. You know, they they they're from Jaipur. Um, Krishna has uh, deep roots in both uh, Rajasthani folk music as but he is a classical musician but he's always you know he's a I'd say he's a bit of a musicologist as well so he's uh, made kind of a lifelong work of understanding the relationship of Indian classical music with um, Rajasthani folk music that's a big part of uh, of what he's of what he's uh, endeavored to 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 bring out so he became a very close friend of mine quite young and helped uh, helped me in my understanding of Indian classical music and helped me in my understanding of how to bring the c- compositional ideas I was having together with the, the way an Indian classical musician thinks, as, especially an instrumentalist who's, you know, um, generally limited, you know, the Indian classical instruments are not generally created for chromaticism the way West, Western instruments are. And then the other person who came into my life at that time was Terry Riley, who is 20 years my senior, very famous composer. Uh, the, I would say the senior disciple of my Guruji Pandit Pranath. So he's a very serious Khayal vocalist, but he's also writes string quartets and orchestral pieces, he's an amazing piano player. And he, I would say, kind of took me under his wing, and we uh, toured and performed a great deal, both as a duet and also often in a trio with Krishna Bhatt and later in different configurations. So he he's somebody who, for me, was kind of a template for how somebody can maintain their personal identity while being immersed in various streams of music. For him, Western classical, jazz, he grew up playing you know, ragtime piano, and from an older perspective of uh, on jazz than than I had mine. My kind of perspective maybe started in the '40s and '50s. I start there, but uh, his probably started in the '20s and '30s. So, you know, I was able to be immersed in kind of a long continuum of of music, and I would say I was a bit of a late bloomer and really didn't release my first CD as a leader till I was 40. You know, that was when I felt like these different streams had finally come together in a way that I felt uh, it made sense for me to start putting my own compositions forward, uh, bringing different artists together to express uh, what, what I was hearing or trying to hear. Great. I think uh, even... Um... As an artist, um, you learn so much from your peers, and you know because everyone has a different perspective on music. It's it's so the the field of music is so so huge, and you you can never complete it in one lifetime. You you always pick up things from here and there, and uh, for even for me, most of the stuff that I have. Uh, those tiny little gems that I have learned are by watching my peers do what they do best. And uh, it's been a really special journey for me to collaborate with 
some of the finest musicians in India. So uh, uh, one thing I found really interesting is uh, when we were talking the other day, you told me tons of stories and your memories of about your journey in India. And I, I, I think a lot of people would be interested to know about all your adventures in India. So maybe you can talk about that. Well, we don't have... Um... Oh, somebody's asked me to turn up my volume. That's easy for me to do. Um, I don't know if somebody can comment if that's better. I've just turned up my microphone. But um, so many stories. Uh, was there one in particular? I can't remember which ones we discussed. Um, there, there was one about the Taj Mahal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go back a little before that. You know, I was yeah. saying that. I accompanied my wife, who uh, received something called a Watson Fellowship to study okay. in India. She was attending Mills College, which is where both Pandit Pranath and Terry Riley were teaching. And uh, my Guruji had a s student named Karunamai who lived okay. at the Sri Aurobindo Ashram in Delhi, and she was going. She was there to be. She was going to be our teacher. So we arrived in India again. This is 1980, so a very different India. Virtually no telephones, let alone no computers, no cell phones. Even landlines didn't really work very okay. much. Um, you know, if you wanted to travel somewhere, you, I, we would have to spend a day at the train station lining up at the wrong windows to buy, uh, to buy those little cardboard tickets that I don't think you remember. But um, so we arrived in India, and with our Western thought modality, we figured, okay, lessons will happen Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from this time to that time. And as you said, she said, don't worry, you have many lifetimes to do this work. First, you have to get a tambora if you're going to sing. And uh, what, what you need to do is get my tamboras from Nainital, where they are. So it was kind of like a... Tr like a quest in an old fairy tale, you know, that we had to go okay. to the Holy Grail. And we went up to, there was a Sri Aurobindo outpost in the hills above Nainital that had not yet actually been built. So we had to get on a bus. And, and if you've ever traveled on this road from Delhi to Nainital, it's kind of a death-defying journey <laughs> where you're on the bus and there's just a, a perilous drop-off almost the entire time down the sides of a cliff. And in front of us... What? <laughs> in, so most of the people are reading out loud from the Bhagavad Gita or saying, chanting Ram's name so that if they should die, God's name will be on their lips. And in front of us is a soldier or policeman with a rifle that's pointing at my face and he's falling asleep and the rifle's bouncing up and down, hitting the bottom of the bus. And I'm kind of like trying to just stay out of the way in case it goes off. It's not going to shoot me. But so we, we did complete that quest and came back to, um, came back to Delhi and, and began our studies. But that was like a two week journey and walking through the jungles there. We met a, um, a young man who just loved to hike. So we would walk to um, Neem Karoli Baba's ashram was like a half day's journey from there through the jungle where monkeys would be throwing things at us from the trees. It was amazing. <laughs> was amazing. And all this just to get a tampura? Two tampura. Two tampura. <laughs> 
and perhaps to prove our um yeah our, the seriousness of our intention of course Sorry. yeah you didn't have amazon those days didn't you you didn't have amazon you didn't have a tambora on your iphone of course you wanted a tambora it had to actually be one and then we later had them made for us uh at Ricky Ram, a famous in instrument maker in New Delhi, who made a special tambora in the um, in in this old style that my Gruji had worked with him on: no varnish, plain wood, mahogany, uh, gourd, uh, sandalwood bridges, sandalwood tuning beads, very beautiful instruments, which then we lugged around the world with us in giant wooden cases. There were no fiberglass uh, molded cases in those days. So I'm not even sure how it really happened because we brought them into Japan on the way back and back to the US. There were things that we did, like the story you mentioned, singing inside the Taj Mahal <laughs> in the middle of the night, things that you can't really imagine happening wow. today. So you've literally seen the journey from analog to the digital world that we have today. Oh, yes. I mean, you know, the first recordings I made were on tape. You know, I don't go back to wire or wax. Of course. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I have to say, I've always been a little bit wary of technology. And I don't know that my, you know, in many ways, my fears are unfounded. And in fact, some of those fears are being unfounded right now as I talk to you, because one of my fears of technology in the music realm is that it does enable people to make music without establishing relationships with other people. You know, yes. you can sit at home and program the drums. You can sit at home and program a loop or pull in a loop. So you can make a whole piece of music without interacting with another human being. Yet here you here you and I are interacting across continents, you know. So one thing that's happened, especially during COVID, is this ability and this uh, not only ability but necessity to connect with people. So, yeah, you know, because opinion. even even during the COVID times, I think it's connected people a lot more uh, because. Um, I, I get to interact with people over Zoom that I wouldn't, uh, they're so far away, but now the travel time is just decreased and we are able to work online on Zoom. And uh, for even for music education, I think it's it's been a really, really good thing because, um, because I teach a lot of people and through Live Demi, and I think I'm able to reach a lot of people. I think you have a masterclass coming very soon, right? I think just a week from today or a week from tomorrow. Um, yes, I do. I'm a little, I'm nervous about it because I haven't uh, done much teaching or where I don't have the opportunity to interact in real time with um, with my students. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big relationship person, as I said, you know, my relationships with my Guruji, with Pandit, I mean, with uh, Krishna Bhatt, with Terry Riley, um, and then later, uh, you know, with Zakir Hussain and uh, Kala Ramnath, all the musicians that I've, of course. Know, even the Hari Prasad Charatia, you know, I like to be in their presence. I like to listen to the stories they tell. Uh, you know, it's, you learn so many things from being with a person 
that that go beyond or deeper than just the uh, the technical aspects of music, the chords, the scales, which of course are essential because you have to have the tools to work with. Of course, yeah. I, um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with it. There's nothing like being right next to the teacher and being able to hear everything so clearly rather than using headphones. That's something I totally agree with. But mm -hmm. uh, I still think uh, in today's times, this technology has enabled so many more people to learn because I know that in the US, because of Skype and Zoom, a lot of uh, Carnatic musicians are able, upcoming Carnatic musicians are able to source out the best teachers from Chennai. And that's something my generation has really taken advantage of. So if you want to learn from a very, very particular guru, um, and if you are still studying in school in the US, you can just do a Skype class. And that's something that that's it's really enabled. It's fantastic. And because those musicians aren't traveling right now, they're able to, to sit and offer, offer these classes. Now it is. It's very much the upside of um, of the of the restrictions that we now have. Is that is that um, we are making like meeting you. You know, I'm looking forward to doing something. Uh, Definitely. In the, in the in the future with you. And, of uh, course, it would be an made, honor for me to collaborate with you. That would that would be an awesome thing. <laughs> well, it's been you know, like I said, it's. It's been an opportunity for me to uh, really step up my relationship with technology and feel comfortable with it. I'm I'm writing music right now for a uh, a theater company here called Enact, um, and you know I've done it at least the setup for it all on Logic. You know it's something that I've had to uh, say, okay, I'm going to figure out a way to have a relationship with this technology, make it my friend, and uh, hopefully paint the kind of pictures that I, that, I, that I want, you know, to say the things, and then be able to call in artists so that to, to, you know, I can send tracks across the world and somebody can put a bonsuri or a sitar or, you know, a vocal on it. It's, it's, you know, everybody, or not everybody, but most musicians are figuring out a way now to interact with the creative realm through the through through these digital mediums yes exactly i think i think the thanks to zoom and skype we're still surviving today <laughs> yeah. yeah well and then the platforms like your geo shred like logic like ableton live you know the 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 things that people are i'm still you know of course a lot of my life is still dependent on a little tiny piece of bamboo <laughs> A little read that that makes that makes my saxophone sound. Yeah, so, and of course, and of course the breath, which is such a big, important part of, uh, you know, my riaz, my practice. Uh, of course, trans transforming breath into sound. Yeah, I just I, I I just have to charge my iPad every day. It's it's a lot easier for me. <laughs> well, that that is the thing. You know, we have to adjust every note to make sure it's in tune with our exactly. breath, with our lips, with our unconscious, uh, conscious and unconscious parts of our brain. That's amazing. That's amazing. So um, can you talk a little bit? I think a lot of people are curious to know about your masterclass. So 
maybe if you can take us through some something that well it's still in development i'm still i'm still working on uh exactly what the timings of things are going to be since um the flow has to be dictated pretty much just by me rather than by uh you know a let's say an organic back and forth and so what i'm what i'm hoping to really explain um is you know how how we as musicians and somebody like me who has i think a bit of an east you know and for lack of better words i'll use the terms eastern and western but uh, okay. per, pers perspectives um um you know how how we look at and this is you know i have this feeling that notes have gravitational relationships to each other okay um you know this the the seven notes are like planets each one has its pull each one has its gravity you know the sa the tonic being you know this immutable powerful force the pa being kind of the next one you know in 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 hindustani terms it was explained to me by my guruji is brahma being sa pancham being the sun you know the sun is like kind of this powerful entity in in our lives it's not always visible but it is always there you know and and how these notes you know if you're playing a major scale um you feel how ma how the fourth degree wants to fall back into ga you know we and you feel that in the indian system where it's happening over a drone but you feel that as well in the western system where it's happening in harmonic motion so indian music we've got the tonic never changes but as you know in western music we want to have the opportunity to just move through all the keys if we feel like that so in the class i'm going to look at how how that uh you know maybe how that occurs and how how it how it helps us in our improvisations and you know how it forms maybe the knowledge base for what we do and i look at you know i'm starting by looking at a couple of uh songs in western music where the melody stays within a major scale because i'm going to start with the major scale just because it's so major and um you know how you can play that melody without chord changes but then how the composers the western composers heard although it's a major scale it imp it implies harmonic motion and 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 what and how those notes change when the chord changes under it of course uh, how we and how we emphasize maybe what what i think of as sort of this nat natural gravitational relationship between notes how we emphasize that or how we soften um certain tensions by by changing or or increase certain tensions by changing the the tonic or creating a different chord i have a question do you do you find it easier to innovate and create new compositions while playing solo or while collaborating and can you talk about the moment when creativity 
Sparks. Do you want to take that one or you want me? I think it's for both of us. <laughs> you want to start? I can, I can, yeah, I can, um, I can start. So, um, so for me, uh, I think the spark can come anytime because I'm, I'm always thinking of music and new ideas. Sometimes it just comes when I'm in the bathroom. Sometimes it comes when I'm walking on the street. So um, when the, the, the only thing is when I have that idea in my head, I somehow just record it because I'm, since I'm always working and thinking, uh, that thought at that moment is absolutely precious. It might not come again. So whenever I have an idea in my head, I somehow get my phone, I record it, and it's right there. And when talking about innovation and new compositions, um, it's always fun when there is another person to collaborate with because you come up with something fresh. Uh, because when it's just you, your, your ideas are always a result. I think for me, it's always a result of my past experiences. But when I have another person that I'm working with, it's a combination of what the other person has and what I have. And together we are able to create something fresh. So collaboration is always something that is very special. And as George said, um, you know, you get to learn so much from your peers um, that for me, it's when I'm working with someone else, it just makes the composition a lot more special. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I agree. I, I'd say that most of the composing I've done comes from me either improvising at the piano or improvising on the saxophone. That's been how initially um, my work as a composer evolved. Um, my first album, I think I spent a lot of musical time with Krishna Bhatt, the sitarist, and, uh, and incorporated his ideas into, into my compositions. I think then later, um, I think as I became maybe more solid as a composer and had a better understanding of what my musical expression was trying to be, I was able to collaborate more easily. Um, early on with Steve Smith, the drummer um, from the band Journey, who then joined my group Summit. Um, and he had been, he actually had been studying Carnatic rhythms and we did some composing together where he would just say, oh, I've learned this Corvi or I've learned this Mora and I want to put these elements together. Can you make a piece out of it? So he would give me a, a um, rhythmic framework in which to compose. And I don't know about you, but for me, often having restrictions can, be, uh, can provide a great opportunity for creativity because it's not like you look at a thousand colors and say, which one do I choose? You maybe say, okay, I've got 50 colors. So you have fewer choices and you can focus perhaps more on, on what you're creating. And uh, lately, um, Kala Ramnath, the wonderful uh, Hindustani violinist, she and I have written quite a few pieces together. Most for, or many for performance, we have a trio called Elements with a wonderful harpist from the Netherlands. And um, it's just a trio. It's me on sax and Gwyneth Ventink on harp and Kala Ramnath on violin, sometimes singing. So, you know, I love having her feed me melodic ideas, which are, you know, I, if I'm looking at a raga and I want to compose in it on the saxophone, 
I will probably wander away from the true uh, melodic purity of that raga because things that happen on the saxophone or things that happen in my mind with, with certain uh, melodic relationships, I may wander away. But if she's giving me a melody, it's going to probably be more grounded in the raga. And then, you know, we can work, we work together to evolve that. A recent project I've been wor working on with Arjun Verma, who's a wonderful sitarist who teaches at the Ali Akbar College here in California, um, raised in the West, kind of like you, but but with a rigorous classical Indian training. And so we we actually have we actually put together a whole 40 minute performance, having never sat in person together doing doing it over phone calls and Zoom calls and electronic transfers of things. So yes, those collaborations have been wonderful, but I feel that in, uh, for me, I have to spend a lot of time alone with the, um, you know, working with the creative, with the creative forces, whatever, whatever they are. And lately, yeah. like you, I've been using the phone to capture things as I'm walking, as I'm improvising. You know, I don't, I'm no longer depending on my personal memory if I have a digital memory available. Of course. Um, but that's yeah. new for me. I didn't always trust it. Yeah, and I, I love what you said about, you know, having restrictions that, uh, to, so that you just, the fact that, you know, for example, you just have 50 colors to choose from. Uh, even I, I, I love the idea of, having restrictions, especially when I'm working on logic and I'm producing music, um, I kind of have a palette of sounds to choose from. I don't, I, I decide, okay, this is the kind of palette of sounds and I'm going to create ideas just out of this. And the ideas that come out of that, instead of just blindly exploring, turn out to be much better. So even in Indian classical music, when you have the restriction, the raga is the restriction. It's yes, it's the, it's the restriction and it's the freedom, which exactly, is, which is so wonderful. And I think I'm, you know, maybe a, a little bit different from other Western musicians in that I find that the, the restriction of Raga rather liberating. You know, I one of I have a memory of hearing a uh, concert quite a while ago, you know, probably at least 30 years ago of Hari Prasad Charasia and Zakir Hussain. It was here in Berkeley, and he was playing Rag Bhupali, five notes. And wow. 45 minutes of a lap, I felt like not a line was repeated. You know, it just felt like it was this endless flow of inspiration. And that, that was a, you know, made a, made a big impression on me. Uh, a, a jazz musician especially you know younger ones these days will immediately look how can i go outside how can i add you know all this complexity and tension and you know be very difficult for most uh most musicians trained you know with an understanding of of jazz to to stay within a pentatonic scale for for 45 minutes before they go into the composition which is going to be another 45 minutes you know you these master Hindustani musicians who, who, who play these long elops, you know, and, and, and certainly not everyone can do it, but somebody like Hariji, you know, it's just like, it's just, yes, 
so many ways to unfold those those melodies and just the sa- and the sound i mean the sound is so important and what happens within one note exactly there's just so many things that you can do with just while just having restrictions i think it's just the ability to explore what is possible with certain restrictions that makes a great musician yeah i think well, we, yeah we have a yeah. question um we're not so used to listening and appreciating while we may uh, sorry so we are not so used to listening and appreciating western music while we may just enjoy listening to it what aspects of western music can we pay attention to or take cognizance of for appreciating it you want to speak as the western musician <laughs> <laughs> so um i think um for this is something that you know even for me it it took some time before i was able to enjoy jazz music because uh as an indian classical musician as you said there's this one key i'm not so used to listening to modulations of course i learned piano for the longest time but uh it took a while for me to actually understand that okay uh there is a chorus in jazz and then this is the improvised part so um and actually this is something that uh, i i too wanted to ask you if if you're new to jazz music and if you're listening to it for the first time how would you appreciate it it's a, it's a question a lot of uh people generally ask me well i think there are a couple of ways um and you know i was going to speak to shilpa saying western music at this point i'm going to limit my conversation about western music to jazz because there's western music is such a a huge um exactly. just like indian you know saying indian music it it covers so many so many things but um you know the area that i tend to deal with is is jazz and the and the various forms of african american music so you know i think one place one thing that is helpful is if you start to listen to the blues because the blues is it's where um it's the music from which jazz kind of evolves and in many ways it's a music that feels like it has a relationship to indian classical music in that blues traditionally takes place in one cycle you could look at it as a slow ectal you know we talk about 12 bar 12 bar blues so it's um you know you could look at it as as 12 beats each one divided into uh in you know da 2 3 4 da each one of those being a bar and it always keeps that cycle and the way the melody works in the blues is very much raga like and i'll talk about this in my master class as well because you can use one scale throughout the blues to make an effective statement even though there are chord changes that take place in that 12 bar cycle so as as a listener if you learn to identify the structure of the blues at as well as hearing you know going back to older blues musicians like bb king and 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 even older bessie smith uh 
and then coming up, you know, if you're listening to progression of jazz, you know, how did Char Duke Ellington's band play the blues? How did Charlie Parker play the blues? How did John Coltrane play the blues? But if you go back to listening to the early blues, you'll get a sense of that structure, and you'll get a sense of when people are working within what I'd call the raga aspect of the blues, sticking with just a few notes that express all of the harmonic motion. And then when they move into the more chromatic aspect of the blues, where they're layering harmonic nuance upon harmonic nuance to get through these 12 bars. And then trying to have your ear listen to what is the bass doing? Because the bass, in this case, in the blues, it might be a bass guitar, it might be an upright bass, but they're the ones who are expressing the harmonic motion. So on, so there's the the singer like BB King will be singing, um, or Muddy Waters. You know they call it Stormy Monday. Tuesday's just as bad. They call it Stormy Monday. Tuesday's just a bad. Uh, Wednesday's even worse, and Thursday's oh so sad. So what I just sang is a full form of the blues. The first two lines exactly the same, even though they're happening over different chord changes so if you can listen to what the bass is doing under that you know listen one time through listening just to the bass listen one time through just listening to the melody listen one time through and see if you can hear the chords then that starts to open up your ear to what might be happening in improvisation and in song structure beautiful i don't think anyone would have could have explained it better than you <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I, I hope that's helpful. And of course, you know, listening is the key. Um, even, you know, people come to me and say, I want to play jazz. I was like, well, do you listen to jazz? They're like, no. And I'll be like, well, you have, you know, you have to listen to it. it it's a language. It's of a language. Course. I mean, we can talk about rag coffee, you know, a minor, minor scale, right? Minor mode. And it's, you've got the same materials but when you put them together, you're going to have a different expression in North India. You're going to have a different expression in South India. You're going to have a different expression in the United States. You're going to have a different expression in West Africa. I mean, people are going to use the flavors and the colors of, of their experience and their, uh, you know, in their culture to, to, to express. You know, I, my, my hobby is cooking. And, you know, you see these different flavors that exist in different parts of the world, you know, in Punjabi cooking and in Mexican cooking, you see a lot of a lot of similar ingredients. But you know that you're eating Mexican food when you're eating it, you know that you're eating Punjabi food when you're eating it, it's going to be put together with a cultural understanding, a regional understanding, a, 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 an understanding that comes from the physical reality of the place you live and in what you are accustomed to. If, it's, if you've been listening to somebody sing Carnatic music, you know, you listen to children on the streets in India and they're singing with a kind of um, ornamentation that you couldn't take a trained singer in the West and make them learn because these children are growing up listening to... Indian style vocals and because it's a language they learn it you know 
for me listening to Tamil. You know, it's a language I don't speak. It's hard for me to identify the words. But a, a two-year-old growing up in a Tamil-speaking household, they master it. You know, it's not <laughs> because we have that capacity, but it's what you're familiar You have to listen to, to get it inside. Yeah. And uh, I think if you listen to something for quite a while, you'll be able to appreciate it a lot more. As a listener, I see Sakshini asks, how, how easy or difficult it is it for a proficient jazz musician to learn Carnatic and vice versa? <laughs> you want to take that one? <laughs> I can speak. Uh, it, it, as George said, it's definitely important uh, for, for, uh, for someone as a musician. If you're a Carnatic musician, jazz music is still a different style. It doesn't make it easier or, you know, uh, so you still have to learn how, um, uh, for me, I still had to learn Western music to be, to have knowledge about chords, how harmony works. Uh, and if I just learned Carnatic music, it would, it would take me a lot longer to, you know, be able to cope with the Western side of things. And it, it makes it easier for me to produce fusion music just because I have a good knowledge of Western music. So I think. If you're an Indian musician, it's still if and if you want to take up jazz, it's I think it's pretty important to have a little bit of knowledge about how Western theory works and how the whole structure of jazz works and how uh, and it's very important to listen to jazz music so that you can adapt. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you say, and again, you know, I go back to the listening. I mean, when you ask to, to learn Carnatic and vice versa. I think you can learn how to play with or perform or interact with musicians from a culture whose music is not embedded in you. So I can learn a piece by Kumaresh and Ganesh and I can perform it with them, but I haven't gone through the rigorous training that every Carnatic musician goes through, you know, the first 11 years of learning all the kritis and learning, you know, all the great compositions by the various Tiagaraja and all the great composers. So I'm never going to be able to draw on that. Likewise, you know, I work with uh, Rona Majumdar, great, brilliant flute player, can learn anything. And I teach him a great piece by John Coltrane, Naima, and he can learn it and perform it beautifully. But when I sit down at the piano, I can play a hundred show tunes from the 40s and 50s that created an underpinning for jazz. Ronu's, because he's spent his life learning Indian classical music, he's not going to have that wealth of, of, of repertoire um, informing what he, what he brings to the jazz. But that's what's beautiful about collaboration. Likewise, I'm not going to know all the bhajans and all the guts and you know and all the bandeshes that somebody raised in north india is going to know but i can play a raga with him and bring my sensibilities so that's that's where the cross pollination creates something new so how difficult or easy it is i guess the answer is what your aptitude is and how much work you're willing to put in so it could be incredibly difficult it's always going to be challenging, but the more you love 
the journey, the easier it's going to become. Exactly. Um, we have another question. If it weren't for your musical career, what would you be doing? <laughs> well, I, I was on a medical path before I veered, you know, as a pre-med student and had done a lot of work. Um, I could see myself being in the healing arts. Um, that's, that's something that yeah. I also had a, you know, kind of a love affair with the ocean. Maybe I would be an oceanographer or a marine biologist. That was another little fantasy that I had. I think I would have started my own restaurant. Oh, really? You like to cook also? <laughs> oh, yes. I, 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 I really love to cook. It's like my hobby. Oh, me too. Me <laughs> yeah. too. And I have, a, I have a big garden, so I grow um, a lot of the vegetables. My latest acquisition is a, a curry leaf plant. So I can oh, really wow. <laughs> so I can really have fun. And, you know, a lot of musicians, you know, that's one of the things I was able to do for my Guruji that got me into his good graces is I could cook for him. And he had to be on a no salt diet, which nobody in India at that time was willing to. Oh, wow. believe. <laughs> so I would cook unsalted food for him, which, you know, is sort Amazing. of unheard of. Yeah. Oh, we're, so now we won't just have to make music together. We're going to have we to have cook, to cook together. together. And most of the Indian musicians who travel to California know there's always a good meal at my house. I'm definitely Selva visiting. <laughs> Selva Ganesh uh, was, was staying with us. And one day he was just, oh, I miss Malagapodi. I need Malagapodi to make my rice tasty and i said well let, let's figure out how to do it and make some he was crying amazing <laughs> that's beautiful yeah. cool so we have around eight minutes left and uh satyajit is asking if we can play something uh, before we end the session okay how would you like to do that um as as you know in uh On this, on this kind of platform, we can't really play in a rhythmically um, organized fashion. Because... We have to go back and forth. Yeah. So do you want to set up a drone? Do we want to choose a key and a scale? Um, a... What I, I have, like, or... I just have a phone down for. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. What, what scale do you want to play at? We can use uh, D because it's the universal. Um... That's D. Can you hear it? Thank <laughs> you. 
<laughs> that is an amazing instrument you have. It's just unbelievable. And unbelievable that you've learned to play it. I think it was actually a couple of I mean, it's been a couple of years, right, since you started? 
It's been it's been five years, but um, I've started I started performing with this only two years because it 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 takes a while to get the dynamics right because it's not a touch screen surface. So I had to figure out some sort of alternative way to control the volume. While I remember I remember seeing something. It seems like quite a while ago. A duet of you and Jordan Rudess, right? Oh yes, uh, Jordan is amazing. He's the, he's a He's the person who came up with the idea for this. And uh, yes, that was a track called East Meets West. And that was around two years ago. It, it was with Jordan. And we had Mohini Day on bass and the amazing Manjunath PC on Konakol. So that was. Uh, they were all. Oh, I, okay. I, funny, I know both of them. But I, for some reason, I thought it was just a duet. But maybe I was. Uh, um yeah so i did i think i've done um yeah that that was the main collaboration that i've done with him plus okay all right me and him have done a couple of geo shirt videos as well together so yeah yeah no no i was just like i was looking at that ipad and going what is that and how did he learn to play you know that was just you know it's enough for me to play an instrument that i've been playing for 50 years but to uh yeah, to see somebody take an iPad and turn it into something so, you know, so musical. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I think we just have 45 seconds left, but uh, thank you so much for being part of this conversation. It's been such an honor for me to talk to you. No, um, it's, been, it's been wonderful for me. Very, very enjoyable. Really nice to get to know you a little better. Definitely. And uh, I hope we can work on something together in the near future. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I hope so. Mm -hmm.